Uh, before we start today, you know, we, we always love welcoming new members into the fellowship, um, but that's not going to happen today. Today we are a little sad because we're, we're going to say goodbye to a member of our fellowship. Uh, if I could ask Gabby, who's being hugged tightly over there, to stand up. This is our last service today. Appreciate her years in Cape Town, but she is moving to the States to be with her husband. So we wish them all the best. It's been a long journey, and uh, it's finally culminating to an end point. But amen. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this morning. We thank you, Lord, for everything that comes together to make a service happen. So many people doing so many things. Uh, all the preparation, all the organizing, all everything that has to line up to make a day like this happen. And we thank you, Lord, because you are our Lord and God and King. I pray this morning, as I speak, Father, that uh, only your words will be heard. Uh, we, uh, we thank you that uh, we can prepare messages, but we do know that uh, you can do it much better. We pray, Lord, that all the words will be heard correctly. Um, and uh, we thank you that our hearts can be opened. As we look to you, Lord, for inspiration, we know that each and every day we have more to learn. I pray our hearts will just embrace everything that's said today, so we know that as we change and follow you more, you will be glorified. Father, we thank you, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, this morning, or for the next couple of weeks, we're going to start a series called The Voice. Lots of voices. And... Uh, it's something I've been thinking about for quite a while, uh, probably years and years and years, and, and probably you too. And, and that is kind of is what happens inside our heads. Because there's, there's some people in there, aren't there? And, and, and they talk to you. And to some people, they, they talk to more than others, you know. Um, and as I started kind of researching this, I discovered that actually I'm, I'm not crazy. There are other people that also hear voices. And, uh, and, and uh, so I thought, let's, 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 let's talk about it a bit more. You know, some of you may have seen the TV show The Voice, which I think is quite an interesting concept uh, for those who haven't seen it. So these guys are not facing the stage. They're the, the judges. And the singer at the back comes on stage and starts singing. And they then need to decide whether they like the singer or not. So they listen for a while, and sometimes within seconds, and sometimes right at the end of the song. But one or all of them decide to press the button, that big red button there, and the chair then swivels around and faces the singer, and that means they would like that singer to be on their team. And ultimately, if there's more than one that turns around, then they kind of bargain and talk to the, whoever it is on stage there, uh, because they want them on their team. It's so, a very interesting show, quite, quite fun to watch. But there's more than one judge, and they've got to decide whether just from the voice alone, they want to hear more from this particular singer. Now, it's unlikely that I will ever be a singer on that show, or any other show. Some will say, thank goodness. It's also unlikely that I'll be a judge of the singers. But somewhere along the line, there's a parallel here. Because... 
I also have a conversation going on in my head, and I'm not always sure who the person behind that conversation or that voice actually, what does he look like? I also have to decide whether I'm going to listen to that voice or not. Because if I do choose to listen to that voice, I may have to walk with that decision for a while. Because I've then put them on my team. Because ultimately, I am a judge of what goes on up here, and so are you. And that, in a nutshell, is what a whole series is about. The voice. So over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about this. Did you know you even have a voice? Who, who thinks they have a voice? Who listens to their voice? The rest of you? you, you the rest of you have voices. Okay. That's okay. So scary when Vickers approaches you looking all all meaningful here. Um, I have a couple, but I do know that those voices can either be helpful or they can be a hindrance. Sometimes just downright sinful. I'm not always sure which hat this voice is, is wearing. You know, they, uh, some paths are suggested, some you know, scenarios are discussed, and I'm tempted to follow this path or that path, but I'm not always convinced what is the best path. And with hindsight, I've seen the voice make some great suggestions, which I've followed, but I've seen the exact opposite. And the voice has made terrible suggestions, which I have followed, with terrible consequences. Today, we're going to try and identify that voice a little bit. So in the tradition of, of Vianna's preaching, where the intro lasts a while, today's just the intro. <laughs> we don't want to break the way we do things here. So where do they come from? Well, these voices. If we let them loose, they can drive us to all sorts of stuff. But if we understand them and we control them, they can lead us to spiritual greatness. Now, there's a scripture, and it's going to be our theme scripture, and it looks something like this. Jeremiah 17, verse 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Now, if I asked any of you here and now, if, if, you know, if you're a Christian or not is irrelevant, but if you're sitting in this hall and you had to choose whether you wanted something like this, what would you say? You'd say, are you nuts? Who would want that? It does not sound super desirable. And yet, this is written as God himself speaking. God himself describes the characteristics of this heart full well knowing he gave it to us in the first place. So... Eric, Johnny, Vince, my very good creation, perfectly and wonderfully made, knit together in your mother's womb, off you go with a deceitful heart that no one can understand, good luck, basically. We have incurable, deceitful hearts, which we cannot cure. It's beyond us. We need help. What is this heart? If it is deceitful above all things, why do we even have it? And here's the kicker. I believe that it describes life 
without God. Deceitful beyond cure. That unaware, reactive life that we all start off with. Our basic human nature. Who can understand it? No human, only God. So where does that leave us? Well, other than helpless and lost, our only guidance in this world appears to be this heart that has no concern for our spiritual well-being. And then it gets worse. Because the Scripture carries on. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve. So you're given a heart like that and then judged on it. Who still wants to be a Christian? We have built within us the ultimate lost cause, beyond cure. And after searching your heart, you'll get what's coming to you, according to your conduct, according to what your deeds deserve. And that's the end of our sermon. Thanks for coming. <laughs> I have a reputation sometimes of being a little dark, so we'll, we'll, we'll lighten up towards the end. Hang in there. So we're driven by a heart that is known for its deceitfulness and we'll be judged on that and round and round we go. There must be something more to this than meets the eye. Here's another thought. Our lives are always moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts. What we're thinking about all the time, that's actually where we keep heading in that direction. Not so. What we think shapes who we are. Let's look at an example. Proverbs 23, verse 6 in the New King James Version, because that said it the best. It says, Do not eat the bread of a miser, nor desire his delicacies. For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. See, there's something going on. His heart is one way, and externally, he's the other way. What is the man known as? He's known as a miser. Did that happen in one day? No, it didn't. It happened over a period of time. But he constantly thought about this, and that's who he became. What we think today if we have nothing to compare it against, is who we become tomorrow. Psychologists will tell you that many of our problems come from this continual chatter inside our heads, this faulty way of thinking. And treating many problems comes with changing the way we think. How can we be so easily fooled by our own hearts? You know, at, at, at uh, last year, we did a series on the Enneagram, and if you remember, there were nine types. And I just want to point out again that type five is in the middle. And all the others rotate around <laughs> type five. Just saying, I didn't make this slide. <laughs> but what this did, it showed that each of us have, we, we, we tend to be a certain character. I tend to be more of a five. My wife is more of a one. Uh, James is more of a seven. We have a tendency to be more or less of a number. That gives us certain strong character traits or a superpower, if you like. 
But at the same time, with that superpower, paradoxically, also comes our greatest weakness. Too much power. If I look at my power, for example, I'm the investigative thinker. So it says observant and studious and logical and perceptive and analyzer and unsentimental. I'm like, what's wrong with that? That, that, that sounds like we should all be. So I'm, I'm less ruled by feelings, although I do have, I ha do have a feeling or two. Um, I ask questions. I, uh, I observe a lot. You know, I make sure everything's going on. I'm logical. You know, me and Spock, we're like this. We, 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 we try and analyze stuff before we, before we make decisions. I compartmentalize. I sort the world into boxes, so I just find it easier to work that way. I'm an observer. So what's wrong with that? Well, nothing's really wrong with that. Um, unless, of course, I'm not ruled by my feelings to the point where I'm cold and unemotional. That's not great. I compartmentalize because actually if you give me too much stuff, I'm overwhelmed. Too many boxes and I start freaking out. I'm an observer. So much that I like observing all alone by myself. I can be a loner. Spend a lot of time in my head and away from people. Strengths, weaknesses. You know, the, if, if I look at James, for example... Spontaneous, fun-loving, adventurous, extroverted, quick-thinking, enthusiastic. I mean, you want to be around guys like that. They just sound encouraging. You know what I've found over the, over the, over the years is people come to me when, when, when I prepare sermons and they say, but Mark, you need to add something which is encouraging. I'm like, but this is encouraging. This is logical. We're learning more about ourselves. We see that we're not the best. How awesome is that? We have something to change. I'm encouraged. But you understand where this is going? To a type 7, it's, it doesn't come across as encouraging. And so, we have strengths, we have weaknesses. And what happens is that everything I process in my head is from the point of view of a number five judge. I judge my world according to that. James according to that, Vanna according to that, and my wife according to that. She's a perfectionist. She's a number one. So you've got a, a one, sensible, orderly, self-disciplined, serious, punctual, idealistic, married to a five. You know where that clashes? Orderly, in my wife's world, is this way. Logical, in my own life, is completely different. Logical make this make sense. But she says, no, order looks like this. And I'm saying, but sense looks like that. And we each look at life through our lens. The voice in our head is telling us whatever our strongest number is. That's the judge. I hear a voice every day, not all the time, but a lot of the time, 
and particularly during times of emotional stress or interaction with others or moments when decisions must be made or when I'm excited about something and especially when I think someone's being unreasonable. Have you ever argued in your head with the opposite party? Who wins that argument? They do not do. You're a liar. You always win the argument. <laughs> no, we, pay, we pay him to heckle just to... But if I, let's say John and I have a difference. Now, I'm going through this discussion in my mind, but I'm going through it from a point of view of my strengths. So, of course, I'm going to win the argument because I'm arguing her point of view from my strengths. That's what happens. Does your voice sing? Do you sometimes get stuck with a song in your head? Eh? A lot. Sometimes it's nice when it's a spiritual song. Other times a bit of heavy metal gets stuck up there and I'm busy, you know, going through the riffs. But it's quite busy up there. So, one voice is me. It's my thinking. It thinks in English. But it's not my external voice. You have an internal voice and you have an external voice. And the two may say completely different things. For example, when someone says, how are you doing? What's your standard response? I'm fine, thank you. And you? That's your external voice. What are you saying internally? I'm feeling terrible. I'm depressed. I'm lonely. I'm actually not doing very well. We have two voices. But the internal one is your real voice. That's who you really are. And it's conditioned... The internal voice conditions itself, it modifies itself so externally it does the best or it wants to, it gives the world what it wants to hear. It's your walking, talking Facebook feed. All the happy pictures. That's us, the external world. Because it cannot actually post what's happening inside. I can conjure up another voice depending on the circumstances, the arguments, the before. You know something's coming. You know a heavy discussion is coming. And you have to bring up some really controversial points or, or, or difficult points. And what you do is you, you sit in a quiet spot and you create the conversation in your head and you start going through scenarios. But if they say this, let's take this to an extreme. So if they say this, then whew, how am I going to counter that? And you kind of figure out. But if they go this, oh, that's much better. Then I'll do it this way. And, and we go through scenarios. So we've gone through 100 arguments already in our head before we've even gone into the discussion. Please tell me you also do that. Thank you. Thank you. Voices. Another voice is my human nature. This is a primal one. It starts off at birth. I call it the survivor. It's constantly on the lookout for itself, isn't it? It's looking for unfairness in the world around us. For anything that compromises my comfort is unfair, isn't it? And I should be having it sorted out for me, preferably. The survivor constantly points out things I don't have or complains about things that are not good enough. It keeps comparing itself to others, and then it gives me the breakdown. Did you see that guy? Did you see the car he's driving? Do you see the house that he's living in? 
they got a big pool, you got a small pool. You got no pool, they got a pool. The porridge is too hot, the porridge is too cold. The bed is too big, the bed is too small. The one that really gets going when you're tired and sick and irritable, when you receive bad news and when your day is not going well, that voice, when you're hangry, complains a lot, and sometimes it complains all the time. The children aren't listening. It's too cold. The neighbor is playing their music again. Someone did not wash up the dishes. And if we're not careful, that's who we become. It's the voice of entitlement. We have four grandchildren in the house. If you want to see this voice in its rawest form, just wander around with them. The number of times I've heard the expression, it's not fair, I, I, I can't tell you. One moment, everything's okay. Peace reigns. The next minute, one of them walks in with a lolly, with an ice lolly. You see the other three radars, zit, the eyebrows, zit. The primal voice in the head's going, this is wrong. I see a lolly. I don't see a lolly. There's an unfairness in this world. What is the first thing they do? They look for the chief judge. Yes. <laughs> the chief judge must rule so that everyone has a lolly because that's the only way that this thing's going to work out well. And then there's another voice. I know we keep getting more and more negative, but hang in there. I call this voice the evil advisor. One of our grandchildren suggests a game. Okay, let's say for argument's sake, this is a completely random example, but let's just say. There's some steps going up to the loft. Let's jump off the steps <laughs> onto a blanket Okay, so far so good. Except the area they're jumping in is like about a meter. There's a brick wall there, and there's a brick wall there, and that's where you go into the room. So here's the game. Let's jump off the step. Great stuff. But each time we go up one step. That sounds like fun. Yeah, that's a brilliant idea. Who thought of that? Oh, let's do this. Let's do this. And off we go. And of course, they're getting higher, and the blanket's sipping, and The evil advisor says, you can do it. You can jump higher than the others. Now, what small kid is not going to get fired up by that? Fortunately, an adult came in when they were halfway up the stairs and brought some order to the situation before something broke, like an arm or a leg. But you see how that works. Here's a great suggestion. Let's go with it the evil advisor. So, our voices take on different forms. We're all judges, according to our types, and we have other little voices inside of us, survivor voices, controller voices, my way or the highway, the pleaser voice, whatever you say, I'll do whatever you say, the victim voice, ah, oh, it's always my fault. Everything must be perfect, the stickler voice, the avoider voice, ah, oh, it's got low excuses for not doing stuff. The rational voice, it's got to argue about everything. 
and we listen to them all when we grow up. This is what our head looks like. I'm surprised we even make it to service in the morning. I think we can only thank God for all of that. <laughs> and then one day we're standing in the garden and, and Bob Jones next door pulls into the driver with a new car. And the observant voice says, oh, new car. And the judge compares our car and the new car and says, uh-uh, this is not good. We deserve a new car. And the victim voice says, why is it always other people who get new cars and not me? And the rational voice comes up with all sorts of persuasive reasons why we need a new car. And then the controller voice goes inside and tells the wife, we're getting a new car. Because if Bob can get a new car, I can get a new car. It all makes a lot of sense to me. Now the question is, did anyone else, have, other than us in here, have voices like that? Well, I think Paul had voices like that. You know, how else do you explain Romans 7? You know, he's, he's really he's wrestling with the introduction of the law and what it's done to humankind. He says, on the one hand, before the law came about, all was good. There was no sin. I mean, what a great world to live in. Sin hadn't been defined yet. So basically, I stole something because I wanted it. But I'm not sinning because we haven't defined sin yet. Then God introduced the law and said, stealing is sin. And coveting is sin. And murder is sin. And suddenly we all realize, oh my goodness, I'm so sinful. And then the conflict actually started. Before the law came about, we followed the voices without question. Then the law came, and this is what Paul says. He says, for I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that, that is, in my sinful nature. My deceitful heart. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Feel that wrestle in there. There's stuff happening up here, and I'm not making great choices. His sinful nature is, is, is struggling with him. The voices are suggesting all sorts of things, and he keeps following their suggestions. He does not do the good he wants to do, but rather evil he doesn't want to do, he does, and he follows that advice. At this point, hopefully we're all thoroughly depressed. Okay, that's not the idea, but just the logic in me says, this is what's happening. Let's be aware of it. But here's good news. For Christians, it ends well. There's one voice I haven't spoken about. Baptized Christians are filled with the gift of the Holy Spirit. John 14, 15 says, If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept Him because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. But you know Him, for He lives with you and will be in you. Christians have a way out. God followers who love Him and follow Him will be given a new voice. The presence of God Himself in the form of the Holy Spirit. The voice doesn't tell you what to do. It doesn't force you to do anything. Its presence, however, 
will lead us in the right direction if we are willing to listen to it. There is a battle within us for our attention. There are many voices with many suggestions to do many different things. That describes me, and I think it may describe you. The question here is, do I like the direction my thoughts are taking me? Do I want some tools to help guide me in a safer direction? I certainly do. The intro is just to look at what we're facing, to give it a name, to make us all aware we all struggle with this thing. We all need tools to guide us. And the rest of the series is my attempt to answer that, to put control back to where it belongs. I don't want to be a victim of what happens inside here. I want to be in control. So that what happens is God-honoring and God-glorifying and the words of God Himself. Because I am able to listen to those voices and with the help of the Holy Spirit, say and do the right thing so that God is honored and God is glorified. Amen. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we, we thank you so much, Father. We thank you, Lord, that you have made us so complex. And yet, Father, you've given us all the answers. Father, on the one hand, we have a heart that is just a basic heart and is deceitful above all things. And then, Father, you come along and you give us the gift of the Holy Spirit. You give us the answer of answers. We thank you, Lord, that as disciples, as Christians, as followers of you, we do have the answers. We do know Father, that you love us and care for us and guide us and walk with us and that we need to follow you and be guided by you and follow the path that you place before us. Father, we thank you, Lord, that we could just look at all the things that are going on in our lives. But Father, thank you that we can name them. Thank you that we can, we can discuss them. And we can thank you, Father, for in, in the series to come that we can put a plan in place so that, Father, at the end of the day, we all, as Christians, can identify what's happening inside of us, Father, and we give it all to you. So that you guide us, and you help us, and we want to be God-honoring, Father, and I pray that all of this is where we're going. Father, we thank you and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.